Welcome back to our fourth week in our series, Tough and Tender. As I mentioned in our first reading, we'll be taking a look again at some of the words of the Apostle Peter, uh, one of Jesus' inner circle of friends. Uh, we're going to take a look at 2 Peter 3, 1 to 9, in particular, the argument that you can't really trust Jesus and his promise to return, and how Peter, with tough and tender words, addresses that for your comfort and mine. Uh, before we jump into our message, let's open with prayer. Sanctify us by the truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. It was a nice summer's day like this one. A man was walking down the sidewalk uh, past his neighbor's houses, and one of his neighbors, he saw a sign out in the yard said, Talking Dog for Sale. Interesting. And there was this picture of this beautiful black lab. So he had some extra time. He's like, okay, talking dog. He walks up to the door, knocks on the door, and the owner answers, asks about the dog. Says, well, you can see him in the back. So takes him to the back, and sure enough, there's this black lab, beautiful black lab, tied to a tree. The guy looks at the uh, owner and says, you can really talk? He said, yeah, give it a shot. So guy felt kind of weird about it, but he was like, okay. He looks in the dog's eyes. He says, hey, buddy. Here you can talk. And this very well-spoken dog, articulate in every way, says, yes, yes, I can. And I've been able to talk since I was a puppy, actually. And then he went on, he said, and, and when I found out I was unique and I was different, I decided to apply for the CIA. Oh, yeah. And they hired me. And they sent me all around the world so that I could hear, because nobody would believe that a dog could hear and understand and talk. I uncovered so many well, secrets, which I can't tell you or I'd have to kill you. And so that was my career and my job. And then I met the missus and we had a mess of pups. Well, now they're all grown and gone. And here I am, just retired. The guy was floored. A talking dog. You're kidding me. He really talks. And so he looked at the owner. He said, and you're selling him? What? How much are you asking? The guy's like, 10 bucks. 10 bucks? Really for a talking dog? Guy responded, yeah, you can't believe a word he says. I'm sorry. <laughs> I share that with you, though, because I think, I think it paints a vivid parallel for a spiritual illustration, which I wish were just silly. And uh, I wish it wasn't a joke. You realize what we have here when we gather as God's people? I, we're so familiar with it. We, we hear the Bible read, the scriptures read all the time, but that's God's word, isn't it? Think of this. We gather here because we know God speaks. And that's miraculous. Far more miraculous than a talking black lab. And it's miraculous not because, well, God can't speak. God can do whatever he wants. It's miraculous because we shouldn't be able to have him communicate to us. We, we are not like him. He is holy and perfect. He is infinite in wisdom and knowledge. How would he find a way to communicate with us? And yet he has. And we gather here, and that's what makes Christianity unique. This is God speaking in his word. And how do we know? What, what sets Christianity apart from all other world religions? And 
again, it doesn't matter where we're coming from. We're all sinners in need of rescue for God to speak. We spoke in Jesus the Christ, who isn't just a teacher, but is the embodiment of all God's revelation and teaching. We come here because God has spoken, proven in Christ Jesus by his perfect life for you, his death, which covered our sins, proven in the resurrection from the dead by eyewitnesses like Peter, who saw his glory, and not just the followers of Jesus, but by secularists, by historians, we're not believers, but they acknowledge, hey, there was this man, Jesus of Nazareth, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He died. We never found his body. But his followers kept preaching about him, even giving up their life for the hope of the resurrection from the dead that he lives, gaining no power, no influence, no money. God speaks. And yet, here's the parallel. How many people today in our world, in our culture, are willing to say, yeah, 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 there is something to Jesus. I'm not going to argue that. Yeah, from God, great teacher, good. And I like what he says. A lot of it, I mean, when I think of this month, it's Pride Month, and people say, I like that Jesus says love everyone, and that's true. We are to love all people. And, and I love how Jesus says, judge not. And that is true. We are not to judge by human standards. God alone has the standard to judge. But then they go on to suggest, but you really can't believe anything he says. Now, judgment day? Ah. I mean, a loving God would never send anyone to hell. Isn't, isn't that what's offered up in our day? Even though Jesus in Matthew 25 talks about, hey, there's judgment, which is why he came to rescue all if they would only humble themselves and believe his word. And then that word that speaks about, well, how it all began in marriage, male and female, and the way it was designed, well, that's all corrupted by sin, of course, which is why people suggest, oh, can't believe what he says. And you go back to the beginning, too, and, and you can see it there. I mean, Genesis 1 to 3, it's, it's history, it's to be taken literally, and yet what do we do in our modern, sophisticated mind? Oh, I like the Bible, but you can't believe Genesis 1 through 3 as it is. I mean, you can't really take him at his word. And that calls into question not only humanity, male and female in marriage, but our need for a savior? Three days of a resurrection, if you can't count the first six, seven days? And then it calls into question the end. Is Jesus really coming? And you see how it works. God speaks. Wow, that's amazing. Well, you can't really, though. You can't really believe what he says. We're not the only ones that experience that in our day and age. That's always been happening since the fall into sin. It was happening in Peter's day. And Peter was really concerned for his people. Because, are you like me? When you hear that, well, Genesis isn't true, evolution is. God's not the designer of marriage, male and female, but we can make of it what we want. There is no hell, no judgment day. When you hear all these things again and again, assaulting God's teaching as if he lies, does your faith shake a little? And don't you wonder, like, well, am I just buying into a lie? Did, did God speak? 
because Peter loves God's people, was inspired to write his eyewitness account. He takes up an argument which was widespread in that day, questioning the Lord's return. And I love what he does here. He's going to, he's going to encourage us by letting us know that that argument doesn't stand. Even more important, God never lies. And that's to rescue us. So thinking about that talking dog story, let's fill in our first blank. Here's really what we're wrestling with today. How does it make sense to reject something over words spoken when the truth is undeniable and the truth is undeniable in Christ? And here's the argument. We'll go to 2 Peter 3, 4 right away. This is what bothered Peter for the sake of God's people. He quotes the scoffers. Where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. So again, filling in the blanks. How does God handle such nonsense? Well, he's tough. And he's tender. A theme that pops out again and again and again in Peter's letters. So we're going to take a look at a couple passages that Peter uses to tear down that argument of the scoffers for your encouragement and mine. And the first truth is tough. He doesn't mince words. And the reason why he doesn't is because our natures need to be humbled so that we don't miss out on the truth of God's grace. So we'll read 2 Peter 3, verse 8 here. Peter says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. So for those asking, why so long, Peter? The tough answer, well, Peter points us to God's eternal nature. That's kind of a heady concept, so let's just take a moment and consider that. You ever, you ever think about God's eternal nature, meaning that, that he transcends time? It, it reminds us that God created time for us. And that's so far beyond us. How do you even understand that? Can you imagine existence without time? But God created time so that we could exist, finite beings. So, so God's infinite. Think of this, eternal nature. He has no beginning. Go back as far as you can in time, even before the creation of the world. You know what you'll find? God. Go back further. God. Go back further. God. Go back further. God. God. Go back a billion years further. There was no time, but go back there. God, kind of gives me chills. God is so far beyond us. And so here we are, finite beings, who in our day and age, we get frustrated if we sit at a restaurant table and have to wait more than 10 minutes for our food. And we're inclined maybe to say, God, why so long? Especially in our suffering, or especially when our faith is assaulted, why so long? Why this corruption? Why the chaos? Lord Jesus, are you coming? Peter says, remember God's eternal nature. God sees time differently than we do. Time is like a drop in a bucket in an ocean of eternity. 
A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years is like a day. What is time to God? And so you see what Peter's kind of doing for those that wonder, like, why are you taking so long, Jesus? It's been over 2,000 years. Are you ever coming? Peter says, you don't know what you're talking about. And that's tough. Like, you don't get it. He says to us, you don't grasp eternity. You don't see that time to God is like an open book and every page is present. Moses' day is the same as your day is the same as the end. It's the eternal present with God. What are you talking about time? It's almost like Peter is taking the same approach as what God does with Job. Remember the story with Job where Job was just at it with God. He was like, I just, if I could put God on trial, I'd give him a piece of my mind after all my suffering, right? If I could just have that day in court with God, and he shows up in a storm. God shows up and he says, hey, Job, what did you want? You wanted to put me on trial? I'm going to put you on trial. Stand up and brace yourself like a man. Let me ask you, where were you? And he just goes on for chapters and chapters and chapters. Where were you? Where were you? Where were you? You tell me how things work, Job. It doesn't get tougher than that. And Job repented. He was like, I am sorry. I spoke without thinking. God, forgive me. And only then God could be tender. And that's where Peter goes with this as well. So after putting God's eternal nature to our questions and kind of accusing, and, and the scoffers saying, ah, he's not coming back, it's just taking too long. After God rebukes us, he now pulls back the curtain. He says, you want to see what I'm doing? I want you to see. And this is where Peter goes next. We'll read verse 9. He says, instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why does God let things go on and on and on as it gets evil and more corrupt, it seems? Because there are souls out there that are desperate for his grace. And in this madness, in this spiritual warfare where there are casualties all around, God in his grace is saving and rescuing souls one by one. That's that's why the time. And we're those souls. And so fill in the blank here. Why so long? Well, the tender answer. For the lost, God points us to his abundant patience. God, in Peter's words, says, I love people. And it's Jesus who alone bled for people so that they might live. No one loves people more than God. And God says, I'm allowing, yes, even your suffering, your long hardship, because I need time to rescue the lost. And, and I love this fact here, because as Peter writes this, he's not a young Peter. He's writing from experience. He's about ready to die. He's lived decades now after Jesus is already gone, and he hasn't come back yet. If anybody had a right to scoff and say, where is this coming? It might have been Peter, but he does nothing of the sort. And again, I, I want you to just kind of walk in Peter's shoes for a little bit because early on in Acts chapter 1, you could read about how Peter had to understand this truth too. God's timing is not ours, and it's for our betterment. 
In Acts chapter 1, Peter's standing with the other disciples, and Jesus is about ready to ascend into the heavens to sit at God's right hand to rule over all things for his people. And Peter and the disciples, they're like, so are you going to restore the kingdom now? And they've been asking that all ministry of Jesus. And Jesus again says, it's not for you to know the time. Just go. Go and preach. And days went by, and months went by, and years went by, and Peter was thrown into prison. Peter saw his best friend James put to death. And Peter kept struggling, and he was persecuted, and so was John, his other companion. But then finally the light went on. And about Acts chapter 10, Peter engages this man who didn't know Jesus. And he became the first believer among the Gentiles beyond the borders of Israel kind of our heritage. And Peter, again, would be persecuted, would go without, would ultimately be crucified upside down, longing for God to come, but God waited. God waited for you and for me. John also had that same experience. He had to learn these truths, too, because John, with Peter, wanted to rule right now with Jesus like, before Jesus died, he was arguing with James and some of the other disciples, who would rule? And he was thinking immediately. But John, who lived a full life in his 90s, pins down a gospel, and he reflects on Peter's death. And he reflects on all the other apostles who had died. All of them died. Jesus hadn't yet come. And John realized that Jesus was going to wait. Jesus, he was going to wait for love for others who are yet unreached. You see, Peter and John got it. God keeps his promises. It's foolishness to think he lies. Christ is the proof, so just wait. There's another encouragement, though, for you in particular. For the answer, why so long? The tender answer for you. Earlier in Peter's letters, we find that it's his redeeming power that's on display, which is critical for us. Let me just read to you some thoughts from 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 to 2. Peter starts out addressing you and me and all the followers of Jesus. He says, to God's elect. Yes, your exile is scattered, but you've been chosen. And this before the creation of the world, God had you in mind, chose you in time, and in that time sprinkled you with the blood of Christ and the waters of baptism and the hearing of the gospel. Now here's the thing, if you're chosen, if that's God's redeeming power, if you're chosen, he will not lose you. He won't lose you. Whatever causes you to cry, how long, Lord, how long? Whether it's mental struggles, whether it's family relationships that are strained or broken, whether it's health issues or standing at the graveside of a loved one asking why. God promises, I'm not going to lose you. John 10, nothing can snatch you out of my hand. In Romans 8, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. And so when you suffer, God's got a plan for that. And God, who carved you on the palm of his hand, will not lose you. He won't. 
but he will bless you in that hardship, and he will win other souls. You see, Peter understood that. Peter saw that God allowed him to suffer for our sake. Praise God that Jesus didn't come in Peter's lifetime. Why? Because you and I would not be in heaven one day. But God loved you too much to end time then. And so God allows a long, difficult life for you for the sake of people yet unreached. This gets very practical when you struggle, when you need to see a counselor, when your marriage is on the rocks, when your children aren't faring well, when you lose and you lose and you lose. It's so important to realize God is speaking, and you can take him at his word. He sees you. He understands your hardship. And he says, I have plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And in your suffering, in your struggling, you'll be just like Christ. I will use that to win other people whom I've also chosen. Doesn't that lift your spirit? You know, the next time you get those test results and it's not good, you can say a prayer, God, I give this to you. I know this time is continuing on and that I should suffer this because it's about saving other souls. And I praise you, you won't lose me either. You know how liberating that is? How beautiful to know in every pain, every hardship, as you suffer, God has a plan for you. And one day you're going to see that plan unfold. And in heaven, you're going to see the souls that were one because God allowed that time. Maybe that's my last thought for us. In heaven, we'll praise Jesus for the speed of his return. By promise of God in heaven, you're going to stand there and see all these generations reached because of the time of our suffering and that of Christ. And you're going to say, God, you're so amazing. You bless the world in the midst of my hardship. So hold on. Friends, suffer well because God has spoken tough and tender love for you. May God give us the strength then to suffer well. Amen.